In the drama of redemption, there are many points in the script where God could have written us off. But in every act, he always brings a twist. One unexpected moment that changes everything. God has a grand plot for our lives. It's what I call the drama of redemption. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it was God's dream to have a family. In fact, He, he, he chose us in Him before the creation of the world. We weren't the afterthought of God. God wanted a family, and then He created planet Earth, and it was a place for us to be able to inhabit it was to be God's home. We were created by God for God. And that was his intention. That was the grand plot of God. There is an author. And every author has a, has a moral to a story. Has a storyline that leads to, an intent, leads to an intended outcome. Has a purpose in mind. Has something that he's driving and seeking to communicate. And God's dream, God's grand plot that we would be a part of his family and show his glory and celebrate his his goodness throughout eternity but there was a plot twist mankind rebelled adam and eve sinned in the garden of beginning in paradise they decided to do life their way they wanted god to be the supporting actor and not the star row and that seems to be the propensity of humanity we want to be the center. God, you come in my life in God when I'm in crisis and need and confused and bless me, God. But I'm always going to have the starring role. Self, self is going to be at the center. And God comes in. We want him to be the supporting actor to augment, to just enhance, to bless our life. And then when things are better, we go about our way. And God, you can step aside off the stage. God will not be the supporting actor. God wants to be the author in our life. And humanity recoiled and pulled away from God. And God says, if you do, if you don't follow my plan, God said, I have one stipulation. In the day you eat of the tree, in the day you obey me, the day you don't follow my path and my plan, in the day you do it, judgment will come. You will surely die. Humanity sinned. And any moment we were expecting the, the retribution of God, but something happened, the plot twist one more time. God does not deliver judgment. God does not bring His retribution. The gavel of judgment doesn't fall and mankind is not annihilated and swept off the scene. God's judgment is withheld. And we talked last weekend about the long-suffering of God. Why could there be the long-suffering of God? It begs the question, what is God's response to man's sin and failure? Oh, long-suffering held God's hand of judgment back. But what is the response of man's sin, man's failure? Well, the Bible tells me as we advance in the storyline, we'll find ourselves at a starry night in a little village called 
Bethlehem. And angelic beings will come to shepherds in the field and announce to them, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a, a what? What's that word? What's the word in the text? A, a what? A, a Savior. You have it right. Was God going to send an administrator? No, we didn't have an organizational problem. Was God going to send an auditor? No, we, 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 don't, we don't have a balance book and a capitulation of the balance sheet problem. Oh, did we need a, a CEO? We, we, we don't need somebody to watch over and, and manage things. What did we need? God said, you need a Savior for unto you was born this day in the city of David. A Savior, Christ the Lord. God's response to man's sin is he brought mercy. Mercy, mercy was God's response to man's condemnation. When we, when we were expecting and deserved the retribution and punishment of God, the long-suffering of God's hand was stayed, and God extended His mercy to you and I. Yes. And then we see in the story and the account of the Palm Sunday story. I want to take you there today. I want to... I want to advance you to something in Luke chapter 19. The very account this day commemorates when Jesus will ride into the city of Jerusalem riding upon a donkey. That day illustrates and communicates the grand plot, the grand twist, if you please, in the plot and the story of redemption. Let me set the scene if I can. First, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke will record with striking details. Things that you think, well, what is important about that little minute detail in the text and in the verse? Why, why did the Holy Spirit include it and mention it three times? Wait a minute. The birth of Christ is mentioned in two Gospels. But the account and detail is given to us in three Gospels. Because God is going to describe what he's about to prescribe. God will do in a story. God will take an incident. And he's going to describe the details because God is prescribing to us the drama of redemption. And I want to suggest that we find ourselves in the story. And there are five things I'm going to pick out of the verses that are going to speak to us on what God wants to do and how the plot twists. How God's intervention, how God is going to step in when man is, is at his worst and man is rebelling against God. Go with me. And Luke chapter number 19, verse number 28 and following. And it says, and after Jesus said this, he went ahead and he was going to Jerusalem. He approached Bethage and Bethany and the hill called the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of his disciples saying to them, by the way, those that just went with us to the Holy Land, we walked down the Palm Sunday way. Remember when we were on the top of the Mount of Olives and we walked down just a few weeks ago and went to the Garden of Gethsemane? We walked this very path. Verse number 30, Jesus said, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say... The Lord needs it. I'm going to come back to that comment. The Lord needs it. 
Those, verse number 32, who were sent ahead, went and found it just as he told them. You will find in life that that statement to be true. Time and again, do life your way, but you're going to find it just as Jesus said, just as he told them. Verse number 33, and as they were untying the colt, its owner asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Breaking the spiritual silence, if you please. Breaking the, 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 it seems like the, the tenseness between humanity and God. The words of Jesus speak out. The master needs it. There's some of you that don't feel God has that opinion of you. Some of you think God doesn't like you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to convince you otherwise from the gospel today. Jesus said of the cult, the master needs it. You know, it's one thing to feel unworthy, but it's another thing to feel unwanted. It's another thing to feel like you've been rejected and dejected in life. To feel thrown away. And there's some of us in this room, you have a moment in our experience in life when somebody said that, somebody walked out of you, somebody that once said to you, I love you, walked out and broke your heart and you felt a profound rejection of that and you still bear that wound in your spirit today because you feel thrown away, not needed, not wanted. Psychology Today magazine says, says that That shame literally bruises the brain. That you can have a wound in your body. That you can have someone, somebody walks, somebody shames you. Somebody so embarrasses you. Somebody so puts you down in some of you. You go back to middle school. You go back to elementary school. There was a moment in which you were so humiliated and, and so shamed by something. You were, you, 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 you were the target of somebody's prank or somebody's joke. And you felt that and that scar so deep in your heart. You were wounded by it. Psychology to May Magazine says it bruises the brain. There was a book written entitled Human Universals. A gentleman studied every known culture and every known people group in the world. From the east to the west, from the Amazon to the civilized uh, societies throughout Europe and, 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 and uh, America, Latin America. Uh, went across every society, every people group, whether they were poor, rich, sophisticated, unidentified. He studied every human society there is in the world. And he came out with what he said. There are human universals. It's true of every people group regardless of where they live. There were about 600, and then he reduces it to five. Five human universals, and one of them are that, me, that people have a fear of insignificance and a need for respect. Everyone, everyone is saying, I want to be wanted. Abraham Maslow came out with what he called his hierarchical needs. And we understand that he says first is food and then there is safety and shelter. Then he says there are friends. And we get that. You've got to have food. You've got to have a place to live. Everybody wants friends. But he said higher up. There is one, one need that is greater, more powerful, that drives you more than any other need. In fact, he said, you will sacrifice the other needs to meet this one need. And he was trying to phrase it and trying to put it into concept, and he called it self-actualization. 
the idea that you are somebody, that you're important, that you're wanted, that you're needed. He introduces to us a word, a concept that many of us know, and that is ego. What is ego? Ego is that part inside of us. It's that deepest part inside. It's, it's our nature stripped God away and you're left with ego. Take soul away and you're left with ego. There is something inside of you. Ego will drive you. Ego will push you. In fact, two-thirds of the word is go. It will push you. It will drive you. Ego will tell you when, when you make more, when you meet somebody else, when you make another friend, when you get married, or when you get another marriage, or when you do, and when you do. It pushes you down a pathway, always climbing, looking, searching for something to fill the void, to be self-actualized, to be complete. But it hungers all the time. It is never satisfied in a marriage. When a woman's ego is wounded, she, became, she becomes angry in the marriage. And a man, when his ego is wounded, he withdraws. And that's that core part of us. It's that very basic nature. And you strip your soul away. And you're left with ego that drives you down pathways and down areas that are not always productive. Let me tell you, ego is not your amigo. <laughs> Hear me out. It will push you to things. It will drive you to things. It will push you down. Because what? We want to feel needed. And what does Jesus say? You go into a town, and there is a colt tied up there, and you tell him the master needs him. Needs him. There's some of us in this room, we so want to hear that from God. And I'm come today to tell you that. In just a moment, I'm going to give an altar call. I'm going to give the most poignant altar call some of us have ever had put before us. I'm going to ask you to go in all the way and make a full heart surrender to Jesus. Some of us are kind of going back and forth. We're undecided about it. But I'm going to try to tell you God needs you. God has something for you. There's an author that has a plan. He has a grand scheme for your life. And you don't want to miss what God has for you. And there are five things in this story of Palm Sunday I want to draw to our attention. The first one, the first one, I'm, I'm going to call it lost potential. Lost potential. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse number 30, it was a cult. What is significant about the fact that the gospel says it's a colt? Because a colt is a donkey that's one year of age or younger. It was a young donkey. A colt. A colt. Lost potential. Do you know God has a will for our life? But so does Satan. Satan has a plan for every one of our lives. It's the alternative, it's the antithesis of what God has for you. And the enemy wants to take every one of our potential, our potential as parents, our potential as human beings, our spiritual potential, our, 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 our creativity, our ingenuity. He wants to strip that away from us. He wants to rob our potential. How does he do it? One way he does it is by skepticism. 
Some of us, we've lost our potential, our spiritual potential because of skepticism. Oh, the Bible teaches us one thing. We read in Scripture, the Bible says something, and we lay it down, and then we go on Google Land, and we go on the Internet. And you can always find a website out there somewhere to tell you that verse doesn't apply to you. It was back for those people 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to you. You're in the 21st century, and God has freed you from that expectation and skepticism is robbing some of us of our potential for some of us we're being robbed by by blurred idealism blurred idealism what are you talking about we have we have substituted humanitarianism for spirituality and i'm not against humanitarianism i'm not against by feeding and getting clean water and 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 educate i'm not against that but somehow we think if we can just do humanitarian needs that just solves everything and can i tell you he did not send us a social organization he said unto you was born this day a savior christ the lord god knew we needed a redeemer he knew we needed salvation yes another way that's robbing our potential I'm going to be candid with you, is the social reengineering that's happening in America, and we are in the throes of it right now. Redefining marriage, redefining gender. What's the purpose of this? Oh, it's not tolerance. What's, what's behind all of this? It's to rob people of their God-given image and God-given potential and take away from them the image of God that God put in them and blur it. Satan wants to rob potential he wants to do it early, parents. Satan wants to steal your kids from you. He's going to push everything on the Internet and everywhere else at your kids. By the way, isn't it interesting? We call the Internet the web. Mm. Yeah. That's right. he, he, he wants to get your, your, your youth, your kids entangled in something. Young couples, he wants your marriage. Satan wants to steal your marriage. Do you know that most divorces happen within the first seven years of a marriage? Why? He wants to steal the potential because if he can get you in the divorce court, then by that time probably you have one or two kids. They go through divorce. They can repeat that cycle and say that's just normal and that's the way life is done. And the brokenness continues time after time. He wants to rob potential from us. Yes, it was a cult. It was young. He wants to steal. I have the, Satan does all of our potential. Number two, number two I see in the story. Not only was it a cult, it was restrained. Verse number 30, he says he's, the cult is tied there. Tied. There was a rope around the young colt's neck, and it was tied to a post, a door, a rock, or a stone. It was tied there speaks of bondage yes bondage it's so pervasive today so pervasive today alcoholism has become a a stain on society and it seems like it's just become popularized social drinking can i tell you god has a different plan alcohol doesn't make a good moment better and doesn't make a bad moment less worse alcohol doesn't improve anything you say well wait a minute when, didn't, didn't Jesus turn water to wine? That's the only miracle you believe in. 
Uh, uh, that's the only miracle some people will believe in and trust God for. Wow. The enemy wants to keep us tied up. But can I tell you what's, an, what's another way to keep people tied up? And it's very real. And it touches many people in this room. And that's brokenness and broken hearts. Abuse. Yes. Yes, there's some of us we're tied. There's a date. There's a moment. There's a situation that you didn't cause. But it was done to you. It was done to you and it has bound your emotions up and you said, never again will I. I'll never trust again. I will never reach out. I will never open up. I will never do that. And you have closed yourself up. You are literally tied, bound, restrained by a past experience and somebody put a label on you that God never intended for you to wear. Last week I was speaking to a lady who, who is somewhat associated with the church. Dear lady, great believer. And she was sharing a moment with me. She said, Pastor, and we were talking about Raymondville. And I said, well, it's down there. And we're doing this work at the church. And she said, well, where is it nearby? And I began to, she said, oh. She said, there's a place down there. There's a town I never drive through. Really? Really? Yeah, she said, I never drive through that. And her voice, her voice got tender and broken. I was, I was reluctant to ask, but she told me anyway. She said, in that town, she said, I was raped in that town. Oh, and I thought, oh, God, yeah, a hurt, a hurt. And there's some of us, we're tied to a past experience. You're bound there. Maybe you didn't cause it. Maybe you didn't want it. But you're tied up there. You're bound. For others, others, you've... You live in a pattern, and you said, this is the way I am. This is who I am. I can't change it. I, 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 I guess I'm just, I guess God made me this way, and this is who I am, and I'm stuck with it, and I can never be anyone else. Can I tell you? Your DNA is your, is your genetic fingerprints, but it does not have to be your footprints in life. You may be a product of your environment, but you're not a prisoner to your environment. God can set you free, and you can walk a different path. And the cult was, was tied there, tied there. But there's a third insight I see in Scripture. It's found in verse number 30's way. It, it was untamed. Did you notice in the verse? It says, it was a cult no one has ever ridden. It was untamed. Never been controlled. Never been bridled. Never has yielded. I think the, the, they call that it had never been broken. Never been broken. Never been ridden. It, it, it couldn't, it, it, its tendency was to buck. Its tendency was to go against the grain. Its tendency was to, do, to, to, go, to be different. Have you ever ridden an untamed animal? I remember I was a teenager, had a buddy of mine, lived out in the country. He said, come on over. He said, in the pasture next to us, there's cows. Let's go ride cows. Sounded fun. <laughs> Sounded fun. We drove out there. We went to the fence line. These cows will come up because they think maybe you're going to feed them. And we stood on the fence and we're waiting for the cows to get there. And it was, it was a good idea up until the moment I jumped. And I leaped. And I landed on the back of this cow and I grabbed his ears like handlebars. 
And then I knew I had done the wrong thing. That cow began to take off, began to buck and sway, went up against the fence. I left some of my skin on the fence, and they got splinters on me and drugged me and threw me off. Can I tell you, I couldn't enjoy hamburgers for two months after that. It just was, it was a bad experience. I don't recommend that to anyone. Why? Because its tendency was to resist. To rebel, not, not to be controlled by. Can I tell you? I'm that untamed cult. I was that untamed cult. What are you talking about, Pastor? I can remember growing up and, and it, I don't know why. You asked me why. I, I, I don't know. There was just something inside of me. If, if parents said left, I went right. If they said up, I went down. It just seemed like... It seems like I was always in trouble at school and everywhere else. Do you know what it's like to go into the principal's office and he say, put your hands on the desk. Can I tell you, he's not praying with you right then. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know, some of you don't know what the word SWAT means, okay? Can I tell you, you feel pain to your toenails, to your ears out of that. I don't know why. That was just who I... There was just something about it. I just pushed against the grain. I, I don't know why. I can't explain it. I was that untamed cold. I just resisted. Resisted. Never ridden. But number four. Number four. I was at a crossroads. The Gospel of Luke chapter 11 gospel of mark excuse me chapter 11 verse number four says it was tied at a place where two roads met did you ever notice that in the text the colt was at the crossroads it was tied there at a crossroads at a crossroads can i tell you i had my crossroads moment in just a moment i'm going to invite you I believe God has a crossroads moment. He's been preparing you for weeks and months. And I'm going to invite you to have your crossroad moment today. Yes, I had my crossroad moment. I was age 14. And my mother sent me to summer camp. I had never been to a youth camp before. I had never gone to a summer camp. But my mother sent me. And thank God she did. I didn't go to find God. I just went to have fun. And I was this awkward, tall, misfit, skinny kid. Tall, skinny kid. I was so skinny, my pajamas only had one stripe. I mean, I was just, I was this skinny kid. And you know what everybody asks a tall, skinny kid? Do you play basketball? I always wanted to ask him, do you ask short people if they play miniature golf? Uh, you know... No, I don't play basketball. I'm so clumsy. I'm not good at it. I felt like a misfit in life. I feel like I didn't fit anywhere. I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I belonged here, there. I just felt like this awkward moment. But I had a crossroads moment. I went to youth camp. Most of the time in church, I would sit in the back, not pay attention. Mom made me go to church. Parents, keep your kids in church. I went to, went to camp. And that night... A guest speaker began to talk, and he began to talk about 
Moses and a burning bush experience. And I remember him kicking his shoe off and his shoe flew in the air and fell down. And he began to describe his feelings as a youth and how God reached out and God retrieved his life and set him free from insecurity. And God healed him and he wasn't going to be ego driven. But God's spirit came in and I felt like he was describing my life. I had my crossroads moment. I went down to the altar that night. I was the last teenager in that service to ever leave the altar I went down and I began to pray and cry and so much of the grief and the and the tension and the misfit feelings of life I poured out before God and I had my moment where I found God I went back and I tell you my life was different my parents never said to me again, you're a juvenile delinquent in the making. They would scold me. I can remember a time from report card, do I do something wrong? They'd get me in there in the living room or at the dinner table. My brothers would be in the other room, but they could hear everything that was going on. And my mom and dad would say, you have all the makings to be a juvenile delinquent. Why? I couldn't explain it, but I had my crossroads moment. God changed my heart, and I became somebody different. Everybody needs a crossroads moment. A crossroads moment. But there's one more thing about the, the cult I need to share with you. One more thing. He was redeemed. He was redeemed. Let me, hold on, hold on. Let me put this together. The Gospel of Matthew records something very interesting in the text. A little statement and the setting it says that tied at the road the crossroad was a cult with his mother why why does matthew add that why does matthew add the little comment in the text and his mother was there the donkey the donkey and a, and a small colt he's telling us something matthew is taking us back to the old testament if you see in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse number 13, it says that when a, when a donkey is born, it has to be redeemed by a lamb. And if it's not, you've got to break its neck. What does that mean? I can literally tell you. That cult was there by his mother. That's why Matthew adds that firstborn the only reason that colt was there is because its owner had taken a lamb and a lamb had been sacrificed so the colt could live do you know why I'm here today do you know why God retrieved me gave me a hope and a future there was a lamb that took my place the Lamb of God, Jesus, paid for my salvation, redeemed. Some of you feel like you're not important to God. Some of you feel like God doesn't like you, but I'm here to tell you the Master needs you. The Master needs you. And the plot has twisted because God wouldn't give up on you. In His mercy and His forgiveness and His kindness, God extended His heart for you for me yes God sees potential there's something about being redeemed 
I think sometimes God's people underappreciate what it means to be redeemed. Yes. When, you're, when you understand you've been redeemed, you don't argue with God over, Lord, how, how much do I have to do and what's the least amount I have to do to go to heaven? And today there's a theological vein flowing through the church and it's known as minimalism. What is minimalism? Minimalism is this. You tell God's people in America the least amount they have to do because they'll only accept that. You begin to talk to them about all the demands of the gospel and what God has for them. If you tell people it, it requires a whole heart surrender, people won't listen to that. People won't accept that. You have to take it down to the bare minimum. Can I tell you, if my church had preached a minimalist gospel, I think they would have lost me. But they preached the gospel to me that you need to get Jesus your all. And I'm about to ask that of you. I'm about to ask you to come to your crossroads moment where God gets your all. Not halfway. No longer is he the supporting actor. He's the author. He's the central focus. I'm going to ask you to give up and walk away from some of your own selfism and egoism and follow God's path. I'm going to ask you to let God take the labels off of your heart. Let God take you back away from a moment and an experience that has scarred your inner being and set you free to untie you as the colt was untied because the master has need of him. That's what I'm about to ask you. 20 years almost to the day April 1997 almost 20 years to the day a Billy Graham crusade in San Antonio we loaded our girls up they were small we took them down to the Alamo Dome we told our girls you're gonna you're gonna grow up you're not gonna appreciate it now but I want you to be able to say you were in the crusade of probably one of the greatest spiritual leaders of the 20th century in the world, Billy Graham. Wow, what a great spiritual giant. We took the kids down. I don't think at the time they appreciated it, but we wanted our girls to be there. Billy Graham, as he so often did, he gives the invitation he's known for. There's always an invitational hymn that's sung. You know what it is. In fact, it's the title of his own bio biography, Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Thou biddest me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Billy Graham did in that crusade what he's done. And you probably heard him on TV do so many times before. He would say, I'm going to give you an invitation. And those on the floor, it'll take you just a minute to walk down here. Then he'd say in the stadium, those who are on that first tier, it'll take you uh, three, maybe four minutes to come down here. And those in the top, it's probably four to five, maybe six minutes at most for you to walk all the way down. What was he doing? He was telling people that no matter where you're at, you're only, you're only three to five minutes away from God changing your life, from God doing something. He was telling them that it's available to you, that Jesus could set you free. That's what I'm here to tell you. Of course, it's not three or four minutes, but some have said in service after service, and you want God to be the supporting actor. 
You come to church because you just want God to fix what you've messed up. Bless me, Lord, and make me feel good. But I'm going to go back and live the way I live. I'm going to go back to the same patterns. God, you're just the supporting actor. You can step off the scene. And I'll go back to being me until I break it again. And God, step in. And I'm here to invite you. Just as you are, just as I am. Without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. That's what I'm asking you. So in just about one minute, I'm going to ask you, from side to side, front to back, if you need to let go of a label, you're ready to let the enemy quit stealing your potential and keep you bound by something that was put on you or done to you. You're, you're ready to say, God, you're, you're not the supporting actor. God, you're going to be the central focus. You're going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to go all in with Jesus and not hold back. I'm going to invite you to just say today, today, the story of redemption is going to be complete in my heart. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, here it comes. Without delay, some of you, the Holy Spirit is already, He's already speaking to your heart. If that's you, that's you. Come. Come. Come stand with me right here. You're in the balcony. I want to ask you to stand. Just stand. Right where you're at, stand. Crossroads experience today. At this place, I'm going to make peace with God. Now, can you just stand? Thank you for your honesty. God's going to honor it. Anyone else? You come. We'll wait. God's doing much more than my timid words could ever achieve. And God's going down to the very secret chambers of hearts. And he's setting people free and inviting people to not live tied up anymore, bound. What does it require? It requires you asking Jesus to set you free. I'm not going to preach a minimalist gospel to you. That's what I'm going to tell you. If you want all of God, God wants all of you. God wants all of you. God doesn't want to be in the shadows in the corner, but he will set you free. I had my crossroads moment at a camp. 
this little cult was set free what was its assignment he was brought to Jesus and his assignment this cult Jesus is going to ride you what is it you're going to lift Jesus up so people can cry Hosanna and that has that has literally been my life story I had my crossroads moment and from age 14 I have spent my life God I'm just going to lift you up so other people can cry save me save me that's what God will do that's what God will do sweetheart that's what God will do for you that's what God will do he won't throw you away can I lead you in prayer now Holy Spirit I sense such a deep stirring in this message I feel like I revisited my salvation experience God you redeemed me God you set me free I remember being so angry and confused and feeling like a misfit in life but there was one moment one night God you healed me of that age 14 you took the anger and the rebellion and the the turmoil out of my heart and God I found direction in my life and Lord you're going to do it again there are people here that have have been halfway in halfway out with God but God they're going to go all the way in they're going to say Jesus don't just be my savior be my Lord in the balcony and in this altar right now there are people crying out and God their labels there are people that have experiences their their heart has been wounded somebody walked out and crushed their spirit they have been tormented they have those words have echoed in their heart there there have been tears on pillows that they've rehearsed that and cried God what's wrong with me but God you want to set them free from that now no longer they're going to wear somebody else's label no longer are they going to be controlled by somebody else's rejection God you want to set their spirit free Lord I pray that oh God I pray that oh God I pray they will sense the assurance of your grace that your mercy will extend to them and God by the power of Jesus and the blood of the cross you'll cleanse them you'll cleanse their minds their spirits their hearts they'll have a making new moment from this moment on making new they're different they'll put this date on the calendar saying God I'm different I'm gonna walk different I'm gonna live different I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a different dad I'm gonna be a different mom I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a different spouse. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you'll grant that. Oh God, this is a work you do. They don't have to. They just open the door and I pray God. Lord, just just God give them purpose and direction. And I pray this over them. In the name of Jesus.